Acts 9, 36 to 43. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is found in John chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. In the church Bible, it's on page 1077. John chapter 10, verse 22. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered round him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What a lovely, beautiful morning we have, and what a tremendous, absolutely fantastic worship time we had. Which one is working, this one or this one? This one. So I can move this one away. Super. Let us just come before the Lord, have a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your presence here with us. But Lord, you indeed have promised that wherever we gather together in the name of our Saviour, you are among us. And Lord, we believe, we have faith that you are here, here to speak to each one of us, here to touch every heart, every mind. And as for me, I commit myself 
my words into your hands. May the words I speak glorify the name of my Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know that uh, from Felixstowe, when I went to Kent, in Hayes, Kent, that I was delighted because in Hayes, in, in Felixstowe, in Dagenham, elsewhere I was, that uh, robes were not the tradition. It was like here, only on special occasions people did wear the robes. But in Hayes, it was absolutely fundamental you must wear the robes, you must have the right color and so on. And the reason for my delight was because in Felixstowe, not once, not twice, quite a few times, I had occasion that when somebody, uh, a lady of uh, my age now, then of course I was a bit younger, I would say, ooh, I remember this suit you wore two Christmases ago. It still looks nice. And uh, I just dreaded it, that uh, very times tempted to say that, do you know the size of clergy stipend? That what do you expect me that to buy every Sunday a new suit? But in Hayes, there was no problem. You wear the robes, nobody looks at it. But I'm back here this morning, I was wondering, last time when I was up here, I wonder which jacket I was wearing. <laughs> But <laughs> I guess you got the hint. I don't have many suits. And the ones I have, believe my word, most of them, 90% of them, they are my son's old suits. <laughs> so if they don't 100% fit, you know what is the secret behind. Let's now come and look at God's word. I wonder, what is the connection in these two readings? I hope we were uh, following the reading. What is the connection? You go to Acts passage, and what a fantastic, what a heartwarming story. Peter says, in the name of Jesus, Get up, Tabitha. And the dead woman is back to life suddenly. And you go to John's passage. Well, not so exciting. It is kind of a, a debate or a dialogue going on between Jesus and some of the religious elite. I wonder what is the connection. Outwardly, it doesn't seem to be any connection. As I said, one is just full of excitement. And just imagine uh, Phil or me just praying for somebody and dead coming back to life. Well, he prayed for me and my voice is back because I had terrible, terrible cough after my uh, time of COVID. And one day, we were sitting in one service, he felt really pity, and he said, Napo, can I pray for you? Oh, I said, please do. And of course, Lord did heal. But just imagine that somebody 
come back to life. Wouldn't it be exciting? But the other one, let's see that me and Pat discussing, you know, that arguing about certain theological issues. Would you be excited about that? <laughs> I hope you got the point. But my hope is for us to see that there is actually a very deep connection between these two readings. This John's Gospel passage, though outwardly, doesn't look very exciting. And as I deliberately uh, demonstrated to make you pay attention, doesn't look very exciting, but it is pregnant with all sort of wonderful issues. Trinity is there. The true nature of Christ is there. You just name it. Everything is there. But I want us to look and see really the connection. And I think I must move my Bible because it has been read for many, many long years. And if it falls, it will be a trouble to get the pages together. That uh, I want to begin with John's passage. But before we go to passage, I want to say something about John's gospel because this is the gospel that uh, I have spent my life studying it and every time it just fascinates me. It's just such, such tremendous, tremendous book there. I'm sure that you are aware that uh, number seven dominates John's gospel. How many of us are aware of seven I am unique sayings of Jesus? Yeah? How many of us are aware that actually John doesn't talk about miracles, he talks about signs, and there are how many signs? Seven. But do you know, this one is not very familiar, that like those sevens, that there are seven unique dialogues between Jesus and people. Yes, seven different dialogues between Jesus and people. Or you can actually say that dialogues between the Word, i.e. Jesus, and the world, seven. And this one, what we have today, actually this is the final major dialogue Jesus is having with the world. So here we have, what is the fuss? These people come to Jesus and say that, you know what? You need to say it plainly to us, that if you really are the Messiah, What's the confusion? Did they lack any evidence? Did they lack evidence? Really not. Because just very quickly, I will give you a few just evidences. First, look at the birth of Jesus. What happened? The angels came to the shepherds. And what did they say? Do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. So first are the angels. But you probably would say that, hang on, Napo. You already mentioned that it were the shepherds, not these Pharisees who angel came to. But I want to challenge you, people like me, who once upon a time were young, but not anymore, that young, that when we did not have the mobile phones or that sort of media in our hand. But let me ask those of you who walk your dogs in this beautiful open space behind, on the other side of the road, just imagine three, four of you, in those days when we did not have the mobiles and so on, three, four of you walking your dogs and suddenly angel appears and angels speak to you, do you think that even in those days in Chelmsford there would be anybody who would not know that Pat, Phil, uh, uh, John, they were walking their dogs and they met with an angel. Did you get the point? Because see, sort of news, they don't just stay with those people, it spreads. The angel testified that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, those shepherds, did you see, pay attention that what actually they did do? They went to see Jesus, but we read in Luke 2, chapter 2, verse 17, when they had visited Jesus, this is what happened then. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, Jesus, the, the angel said, is the Messiah. Go further. Jesus is eight days old. He is taken to the temple. And when Mary... And Joseph went to the temple. Do you remember two very special people? I call them the religious elite. That, uh, that uh, who noticed Jesus there. Do you remember their names? Simeon and Anna. And what was their testimony? And especially, just to, for the time's sake, let's look this uh, Anna, the prophet. What did she uh, did? A godly, uh, that prophet Anna's word were this. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Not on, out in the field, not out where you're walking your dog, but right in your church, right in the temple, there is this prophet who is saying, this is the child, this is the one through whom Jerusalem will be redeemed. So did they lack any testimony? But move forward. John the baptizer. So what was his testimony? He all the time said, look at the Lamb of God.
who takes away the sins of the world. Forget it because there is word lamb. But he said, a great man, in the eyes of all those religious people, I am not even worthy to bow down and untie the laces of his shoe. Did they lack a testimony? And then, the passage we read today, have a look at it. What did Jesus say to them when they asked him, that, tell us plainly if you are really the Messiah? And Jesus said, I told you. I told you, but you did not believe. So they had so much testimony, then why were they still coming and asking Jesus, tell us, please tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, if you are the Messiah. Why? I believe this festival, festival of dedication, during which they came to ask Jesus, has got the clue. Once again, John's Gospel, if you look at carefully, that so often John, when talking about certain events in the life of Jesus, he refers to certain Jewish feasts. Are you aware of that? Number of times he does that. And uh, I, like many others, believe that it is not by accident that these feasts are mentioned, there is a purpose for the mention of these feasts. So in our reading today, it is the Feast of Dedication. Do we know the Jewish name of it? Well done, Hanukkah. Because you know why I asked? Because I pronounce in a Hebrew way, but I wanted it to be in English way, Hanukkah. So it is the Feast of Hanukkah, like, unlike other Jewish festivals, recently a recent festival in the days of Jesus, that uh, do we know the background of that? Is that widely known, that why Jewish people did celebrate Hanukkah? Not so, okay. Well, this was, the background is that in, nine, uh, in 1967, in 167 uh, BC, the Syrian emperor Antichos, he attempted to establish a uniformity of worship in whole half his empire. But the Jewish people, they proved to be tough nuts. Everybody else ready to compromise, but not them. So he, of course, was the king. They were the subject. He wanted his way. So what did he do that uh, to desecrate the Jewish temple? He erected uh, the, uh, an altar to uh, his god, Zeus, and then he offered pig sacrifices within the temple building, and as you know, that that animal was forbidden in Jewish faith, just to create trouble for the Jewish people, just to tell them that I am the boss, 
I can do even these sort of things in your temple. And we have that, that then the Jewish people rebelled uh, under a man named Judas Maccabeus under him, and they defeated and rededicated the temple to the worship of one true God. Did you get the story? So the enemy was defeated because there was this strong leader, Judas Maccabeus. By the way, do we know what means Maccabeus? Because it comes from uh, Aramaic language, Maccab, which means the hammer. He really proved to be the hammer that he smashed the enemy and reestablished the Jewish worship in the temple. But now, the Jewish people in Jesus' time are again under the yoke of a foreign rule. Though the, the man who ruled them, to please them, he expanded even the temple, but come on, he was still a foreign ruler. Oh, only if we can get another Maccab who can hammer these enemies and there won't be any problem. And in Jesus, in so many ways, they saw that potential. Man, he can feed the 5,000 out of nothing and can't he change these sticks into the swords? Just imagine if he did it. Romans, we can do away with you. But the puzzle was that he did these sort of wonderful things that anyone who wanted that freedom from the slavery was dreaming a man like him. He could gather the crowds around him. He was such charismatic man. But, uh, you know, he called Pat, Phil, Napo, sheep. He didn't call them panthers. We want to be panthers. Just give us a lead. And look what we do with these Romans. That is why he, they were asking, come on, if you are the Messiah, you are here to redeem us. And these Romans are still there. We are here to work under your leadership. Be a hammer. We will be your panthers. We will be your lions. We will be your lionesses. Let us tear the Romans apart. But Jesus always referred to himself, the man who came to serve, not to be served, lamb, not the lion, not the panther, not the panther, but the sheep. You can't defeat Romans by, with the sheep. That was the confusion. So they wanted a hammer, not the lamb. 
But Jesus, as you can clearly see in our Acts passage, that was his purpose of coming. Not to destroy the life, not destruction, but building up. Here they were demanding destruction. In Jesus' name, the church was demonstrating that they, the church is here to restore the life. That dead woman was raised to life. And praise God, the church has raised millions and billions of dead around the world, which is absolutely fantastic testimony. But I have got a challenge for us, and it is not going to be comfortable. I say it beforehand. I, for one, I often sit back and I ask myself that what if Christendom, the countries with Christian tradition, if they displayed the love of Christ, if they presented Christ to the world rather than to desire the domination, what the world would be today? Do you think we will still have wars? I don't think so. Because the love of Christ conquers everything. I remember, I'm sure many of you wouldn't remember the name of a famous missionary, that's Dr. Stanley Jones. He was missionary to India. And once upon a time, he went to Mahatma Gandhi and asked him this question, that Mahatma, tell me, what can we do to make Christianity looks natural in India? What can we do to make look Christianity natural in India? Mahatma Gandhi answered him four things. I will mention two because they are relevant for today. Number one, he said, your faith, your religion, teach you to love. Love. Why did he say that? Love. And the second, he said, that don't dilute your faith. Preach as it is. Yes, you will offend some people, but preach as it is. And that preaching, that true teaching of Christ Jesus will make it look natural in this part of the world. Perhaps you, some of you know it, that when Mahatma Gandhi was active, fighting against uh, the British Empire to win the freedom, that he would travel all around, and people will ask him that, Mahatma, what word do you have for us? So often, he would take the New Testament out and read a tiny bit from the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and say, this is my word for you. What if Christendom displayed the true Messiah, Messiah the Lamb, 
what the world would be. And what about the church itself? And I am not raising my finger on anybody. I myself, I am of that age. You can imagine how many, how long the list, if Jesus kept the list of my sins, would be there. I am one of those that who have cut the thin air, you know, that invisible air with my hand actions and with my tongue, I have cut the hearts and minds of the many. And don't we continue to do that? And only if we remembered that we follow the Messiah who is the lamb, not the panther, not the hammer who can smash, not the sword which can cut even the thin air, but the lamb of God who heals, who restores what the church would be. May God give us the grace that we may learn from the example of our master that we are here in this world to build, not to destroy. Amen.